The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Come down out of every to you today from the book of Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. And I want you to notice the two places that God dwells. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's an amazing contrast, isn't it? The Lord says that I'm the high and lofty one one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. That's God in his greatness. And then it's amazing that he condescends in such an extreme way. He says, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Now, in light of this extreme contrast, the Lord says, I dwell in the high, I'm the high and lofty one, and I inhabit eternity. And in contrast, seeing that he also dwells with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit, It ought to be our desire to be a contrite and humble person. In other words, that's the way to get God to dwell with me. And this is the same kind of dwelling that Brother Dylan was talking about in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is not a chapter about sonship. It's a chapter about discipleship. It's not how we maintain our vital relationship with God. It's how we maintain our fellowship with God. And that's what's under consideration here. He revives the spirit of the humble and he revives the heart of the contrite ones. So if that's the kind of people that God dwells with, I want to take advantage of that, don't you? Now notice also when we think about the subject of humility, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. We're fixing to read about what's good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? One third of what God requires of us in an overall way is to walk humbly with him. He speaks here of what we should do what we should love, and how we should walk. What we should do pertains to our works. Uh, What we love, being mercy, pertains to our attitude. And when he speaks of walking, that word walk is generally used in Scripture to describe our overall life. You remember one of the prophets says that 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Walking is the normal mode of life. Uh, You may mount up with uh, wings as eagles, and that's a supernatural thing in nature. You may run and not be weary, but eventually you're going to exhaust yourself running. But walking is just our general way of life. So he says that uh, he requires of us to to, uh, do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So if you want to enjoy God's fellowship, if you want him to dwell with you, and you want to do that which he requires of you, then it ought to be your desire to be humble. Now, one of my favorite passages in the Bible with regard to humility is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, And verse 17, I've quoted this a number of times here, but let's notice uh, several verses beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Now what Saul did, which was wrong, is the Lord told him to to destroy all, And he destroyed some. He brought back uh, some of the uh, animals. He didn't do what the Lord said. And you see, it is is not humble. That is, as a matter of fact, it's being high-minded when you think, well, here's what God said, but I'm going to do this. And if you'll read this carefully, you'll see that he did this not with impure motives, but he did this to worship God. He's in his mind. I'm going to, in other words, without consciously thinking this way, he was actually uh, thinking that I'm going to improve on what the Lord said. The Lord said destroy them all, but I'm going to bring back some and sacrifice them to the Lord. Certainly that's a better idea. Have you ever caught yourself? Thinking that way, here's what the Lord said, but that's a very dangerous word when it comes to following the Lord. So notice here what Samuel commended Saul for when in verse 17 he says to uh, Saul, when thou was little in thine own sight. That's the best Bible definition I know of 
of the word humility. Now I want you to apply this to yourself. And I'll apply it to myself. Are you little in your own sight? Those are the people that feel their need of the Lord. Those are the people that want to please the Lord. Those are the people that want to do whatever needs to be done to have His guidance in their life because they don't trust in themselves. This is a people who are not self-confident. You know, the world will tell you you need to feel good about yourself. The world will say you need to learn how to love yourself. The world will even say before you can love others like you should, you first have to learn how to love yourself. Not realizing that's the problem is that we do love ourselves. We love ourselves so much that we're going to do what pleases self at the cost of treating other people in the right way. So he says to Saul, There was a time when you were little in your own sight. So if you want the Lord to dwell with you, if you want to get the Lord's attention, you need to be humble. I believe it was Isaiah that said, speaking for the Lord, He said, unto this man will I look. You want the Lord to look at you? You want the Lord to pay attention to you? The Lord says, unto this man will I look. Unto him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Now, what does that describe? That describes the mindset of a person who is little in their own sight And they have the attitude that I don't have the answers. I can't trust myself. I'm not confident in myself. But I am confident in the word of God. And I'm going to read it with the utmost reverence and respect. That's what it means when he uses that phrase. Him that trembleth at my word. Now I want to speak briefly on three considerations with regard to humility three things that if you will understand and remember these things it'll help you tremendously in being a humble person who with whom God dwells and the, a person that is doing what God requires of you now first of all humility is deliberate Sometimes people think that humility describes someone who is shy, someone who is timid, someone who cowers down to others, someone who is quiet, someone who is not outspoken. That's not humility. Now that can be an indication of humility, but Humility is something you do deliberately. That's so important. See, Satan would have us to say in many areas of life, well, I'm just not a humble person. Well, that's right. You're not. You need to become one. I've heard it especially 
people say, well, I come from a family that are big talkers. Well, your family are descendants of Adam. They're not the example to follow. Now, you understand what I'm saying. If you have godly parents, there's a sense in which you should follow their example. But your ultimate guide is God's word. Your parents may be outstanding people who have provided temporal salvation to you as a child of God, but ultimately we're to look to God's word. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now let's begin by a verse that you're all very familiar with to show that being humble is not a personality trait in which you are passive, but it is an act of obedience. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. The Lord says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Did you notice those two words? Humble themselves. The word humble is an action verb. You're the subject. You're the one that is to humble yourself. And notice in order to humble yourself, he mentions uh, some things that you're to do. He says you're to pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked way. Now, by definition, the word humble means low, depressed. We're not talking about uh, mental depression. We're not talking about someone who has a medical condition that may need to be treated. We're talking about pushing yourself down. To be humble is to be low, depressed, depressed, and submissive. And certainly that's what he's talking about here. He says, if my people which are called by my name, are you identified by the Lord's name? If you're a member of the local church, you are especially identifying yourself with the Lord's name. That's That's the way in which you most identify yourself with the Lord here on earth. He says, if my people which are called by name shall humble themselves, and what does that involve? It involves praying, seeking his face, and turning from their wicked ways. Humility is always associated with obedience. If you have confidence in yourself, you're going to have a problem being obedient because you think you have the answer. You know, Brother Chris has been preaching a lot from the book of Proverbs. And he's contrasted the fool with the wise. I heard someone describe the fool this way. A fool is not mentally deficient. 
He's mentally self-sufficient. That's a fool. I don't need anyone's help. I don't need anyone's counsel. I know everything. So a fool is not going to pray and seek the Lord's face and turn from his wicked way. See, even there in the case of Saul, he was condemned by Samuel in that he did not obey the voice of the Lord. Now, when he was little in his own sight, he would have obeyed the voice of the Lord. So to be humble is to deliberately lower yourself, depress yourself, and be submissive. If we are all humble before the Lord and humble with one another, we'll never have a division at Zion Church. Did you know that? Never will if we remain humble with one another. Now, we won't turn to these for the sake of time, but if you want to look at them when you have time, you can look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 34 through 36, and you'll read about a man named Hezekiah, who, though he had been rebellious and was experiencing God's judgment, yet when he humbled himself, he experienced God's blessings. And also in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 26 through 28, you'll read about a man named Josiah who became king when he was eight years old. (laughs) I tell you, An eight-year-old boy needs humility, doesn't he? (laughs) Because you have very little experience and you you haven't experienced failure. And I believe he was 16 when he began seriously seeking the Lord and the Lord blessed him because he was a humble man. So one important consideration if you want to be a humble person with whom God dwells, if you want to be a humble person who is doing what the Lord requires, and we all know if we do what the Lord requires, we're going to be blessed. If you want to be a humble person, it's very important that you always remember humility is an act of obedience because the Bible uses that expression, humble yourself. And when you read about Hezekiah and Josiah, you'll see that phrase, they humbled themselves. Now secondly, and this is one that's really important to keep in mind. Did you know that humility is the key to greatness? The world thinks just the opposite. Brother Chris, I was thinking about the political world. They think just the opposite. They think the key to greatness is to promote themselves, to to control their destiny, to do what is required to harm others in order for them to rise to the top. Let's see what Jesus says about it. I believe what he says is a lot more reliable than what sinful man may say about it. 
in Matthew chapter 23 and beginning with verse 5. And, uh, you know, a whole sermon could be preached with the title, The Way Up is Down. That's the way it is in, in the church, in the kingdom of God, and in your life out in the world as a child of God. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. Speaking of the uh, Pharisees here. And he says, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Here are some people that like to dress in such a way as to show their prominence in the religious world. You know, you may wear a badge that says, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Amen. The first time the word Christian is used in the Bible is when the disciples were in Antioch. And it, notice this, the disciples were called Christians. These are those men that are following Christ. It wasn't necessarily a compliment. The disciples were called Christians. Can it be said of you by the world that they were just call you one of those old Christians. The thing that they're criticizing should be viewed by you as a great compliment. If you're insulted in the world's mindset as being one of those old Christians. He says in verse 6, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. Now, I don't want to pick on politics too much because Brother Chris is a politician in a sense. I believe he's a true statesman. But, you know, when I read this, I thought about our federal government and the halls of Congress. Notice this. He says they love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. Oh, I want to be the top dog. You know, and it, you know, it's interesting some of the phrases they use. You know, they talk about the minority leader and the one that's the leader of the majority. You know, but here he says, notice in verse 7. They love greetings in the markets and to be called of men rabbi. Rabbi, but be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. There's one who's above everybody else, and that's Christ. Amen. All of us are brethren. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're an elder or a deacon or a male member or a female bre uh, member. In the generic sense, you understand, we're all brethren. Amen. We're all on the same level. Right. I have seen much harm done when deacons have been elevated to a spiritual office. And I'm not cutting preachers any slack, but I have seen so much ruin when preachers or deacons are elevated. A preacher is a spiritual servant 
And a deacon is one that serves with regard to the physical and material needs of the church. Isn't it ironic that the very position that is often called problems is a position that's described as a servant or a slave, one that's not getting recognized for what he does, he's just serving. But oftentimes it's been the opposite. I want to be recognized for what I do. Now notice what Jesus says. Verse 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You see, the way up is down. Now what if Brother Chris and I begin to envy one another and try to uh, compete for the attention of the church? Now you understand he's the pastor of a church. Is the church. As I heard a brother say one time, anything with two heads is a freak. <laughs> Think about that. That's true. In you know, you can't have two presidents of a corporation. There has to be, you don't have two CEOs. You have one man who's the overseer. But it doesn't matter whether it's two uh, co-pastors or to a, a, a pastor and an assistant pastor or a pastor and members who are ordained elders, if there begins to be any competition, they're on their way down. Amen. That's right. You know that you can take great comfort and you young people, as you grow up in the church, you know, sometimes young preachers struggle with uh, trying to do those things that will really grow the church. You know what will grow the church? Is just bowing yourself down and saying, Lord, help me to faithfully preach thy word. That will grow the church Amen. because the Lord's growing it then. Right. You're not doing it. Oh, the first church I served, I tried to grow the church and didn't baptize one person. I, I did uh, a local newsletter. I wrote for three uh, local newspapers. I did a radio broadcast. I visited a lot of other churches. The first special meeting we have, I had more people in attendance than there had been in years. I tried to grow the church. But only the Lord can grow the church. Amen. I'm not saying the ministers to be passive. You understand. But all his labor is in vain. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. If, I could, if you would remember one verse I read today. That's, if I had to pick one, that would be the one. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So many, you know, Jesus said it this way in one place. He said, he that findeth his life shall lose it. You know what that means? When you get your way, when you think about yourself, when you promote yourself, whether it be in the church or in the world, the very first, the very person that's trying to find themselves 
loses out. And the very man or woman who will say, Lord, I don't want to cause problems, but I'm just going to keep attending church. People may be critical. Other churches, think of a preacher. You may say other churches no longer recognize me, but I'm just going to stay right here and be faithful. You know what I found? Oftentimes, usually, the ministers that appoint themselves as being in charge of order among the primitive Baptists are the ones that have the churches that are in greatest decline. I can prove that. I think of one in particular that really went to the extreme on this and about the only people left in his church is his immediate family. See, the way up is now. Way down is up. Now again, there's so many verses we could consider, but I just want to hit each of these considerations. But I would encourage you in conjunction with this point, that is the key to greatness, is to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, where he talks about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You say, well, Brother Buddy, I've tried to do that, but nothing's changed. God decides when due time is, (laughs) not you. Lord, I've waited for a year, and this hasn't developed, and so I'm going to go out and do something. You ever heard somebody say, I'm going to do something even if it's wrong? That's not the the Lord's idea on the matter. That's the world's way of thinking. I'm going to do something even if it's wrong. Well, notice Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. To submit yourself to God and to quietly follow him is the best route to go. Some people say, think that humility is to be weak or to compromise. It's a lot easier to get mad than it is to stay calm. That's right. Which one requires the, the most effort? Is <laughs> to stay calm. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Then a third consideration it's better to humble yourself than to get humbled. Amen. I've experienced both. How about you? Yes, sir. It's better to humble yourself than to get humbled. Notice in Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20 and verse 17. Notice what Jesus says. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And certainly that's talking about Jesus. The Jews rejected him, but he's become the head of the corner. He's the the most 
integral, important part of the foundation. And when the apostles preached, they're laying the foundation of the truth about Jesus Christ. But notice verse 18. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know, if you were running through the woods and there was a, a big rock, say about three or four feet in diameter, and you, maybe it was nighttime, and you ran into that rock, that would hurt, wouldn't it? Maybe bruise you, maybe break a bone, but would you rather fall on that rock or that rock fall on you? That's what he's talking about. It's better to humble yourselves. See, if you get hurt, you can be healed. The Lord sometimes hurts his people. You know, when it talks about the, the, the shepherd in Psalms uh, 23, uh, it talks about that he binds them up. I've read that uh, shepherds in the most extreme cases of a sheep that just will not stay with the flock, in the most extreme cases, he'll break the leg and carry that sheep around until the bone heals and usually from that day forward, that sheep will stay with the flock. Somebody says, well, that's mean. Well, if he doesn't stay with the flock, he's going to be killed by a wolf. Right. <laughs> See, it's far better to humble yourself and be broken than to get humbled by the Lord. You know, if you're ground to powder, there's not much left to work with, is there? That's right. And some of God's children live their whole life in such a way that they're ground to powder as far as this world is concerned. Now, if you want to read more on that, I should have typed up a little outline to give to you, but look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, and also verse 16. Look at Hosea, not now, don't look at it now. Look at Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15 and Second Chronicles chapter 33 verse 10 through 13. And that will give you some more uh, insight on humbling yourself instead of getting humble. Let me read to you as our time is gone. Three Proverbs. Brother Chris has been preaching on Proverbs. And I'm just going to read these to you. And this will be right along with some of the things he's preached. And these are just some good thoughts to keep in mind. So it would do you good to memorize these. First of all, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12. He may have preached on some of these. I can't remember. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. See, there's a good example of this either falling on the stone or the stone falling on you. Because it says, before destruction, before being ground to powder, the heart of man is haughty. That means arrogant or as we would say, stuck up. The heart of man is haughty. And before honor 
is humility. You see, man through his schemes cannot put the church out of business. Amen. Matter of fact, that's when the Lord may bless the church most is when that local church continues to honor the Lord in spite of what others may be saying or trying to do. Look at Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. You want to be honored by the Lord and honored in the community. I was in a gathering a few days ago and there began to be some foul language spoken and, and uh, I began to leave, not necessarily because of the foul language, but it was basically time to leave. And someone said, buddy, you better leave. This is about to get ungodly. I took that as a compliment. In other words, they knew I didn't want to be in that environment. That's a good thing. In other words, you will be honored in the, the, in, your general, in the general walk of life if you'll just walk humbly with your God. Amen. I wasn't trying to save anybody. I wasn't broadcasting that I was a Christian. I was just trying to quietly do the right thing. Right. And then look at Proverbs uh, Chapter 16 and verse 19. Better is it to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That's who I want to be with. How about you? I consider Brother Chris a great friend. I would rather be with a, of a humble spirit with the lowly than to defy, divide the spoil with the proud. Rather be with the lowly than to be with those that are most esteemed by the world who are rich and often do dishonest things to be rich. Right. And lastly, and I'm all, I want to read this one because here's the greatest example that you'll ever find of humility and also uh, the greatest description of being rewarded for humility in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and beginning with verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 5. Let this mind, that is this way of thinking or this attitude, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. If you ever catch yourself saying, well, I'm above that, you're thinking wrong. Amen. Is there anybody that was more exalted than Jesus? It says he was in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's what that's saying. And he'll explain it even in the next verse. But let me say at this point, 
What that's saying when he says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God means when he condescended to low estate, when he came down to this world, he didn't view it as being robbed of his uh, deity right. with God. See, Jesus didn't lay aside his deity. Amen. That is, he didn't lay aside the fact that he was God. That wasn't compromised. He laid aside his glory for a little while. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus did not say, Father, that's beneath me yeah, right. to assume this form of a servant. It says, verse 8, and being found in fashion uh, as a man, he humbled himself. Notice this. When he was found in fashion as a man, that is, when he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, Notice that the likeness of sinful flesh, not in sinful flesh, but it says being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient. There it is even in Jesus. Humility and obedience are always related. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That doesn't mean he was previously disobedient. That just means... As verily God, but also verily man. As verily man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now notice this. Remember we read those verses that says, He that, exalted, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Notice that applied to Jesus too. Being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that if the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it doesn't describe us as being exalted that much, does it? But we'll be with that one who's exalted. See, that's why that I totally pose this idea of a millennial reign. And the Bible says Jesus shall come without sin unto salvation. That means he is not coming back to address the sin issue. He's not coming again to humble himself. When it says uh, he's coming the second time without sin unto salvation, that means instead of coming to address the sin problem, he's going to come in his exalted, glorified state to deliver his people. The first time he came to suffer for sins, he is not going to come back and set something up here and try to do something he didn't do the first time. Amen. He's coming back in glory as the Son of God to deliver his people from this present world. If Jesus humbled himself, who are you to even think about not humbling yourself? Amen. And in the same sense that he was eternally exalted and glorified, how can we doubt that God will not exalt us in this life, not in our pride, but exalt us in the sense that he blesses us for humbling ourselves and submitting to his will.
We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.